New office furniture for Vancouver City Hall. We should be more careful with um, what we're spending our money on. Some question the elaborate spending in the middle of a pandemic. Dr. Henry's new health order to stop the opioid crisis. This is a good solution all the way around. How it gives addicts better access to safer drugs. And a man loses everything in a propane explosion. The quick-thinking employee who prevented an even bigger disaster. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. New and startling information about spending at the city of Vancouver, even with hundreds of city workers laid off and Mayor Kennedy Stewart warning of potential service cuts. Somehow, though, the belt tightening doesn't apply to a renovation project at City Hall, including truckloads of high-end office furniture. Jordan Armstrong shows us what he uncovered in this NewsHour exclusive. Our situation is extremely serious. We need help from the province. Our staff is working flat out to find savings, reduce costs, and make sure we are in the best possible position when it comes time to plan our economic recovery. I think these are four or five, yeah. yeah. The other ones are like 15 or something. Those officers are 1500 I think so. Okay. You heard right, $1,500 office chairs. Three truckloads worth. <laughs> were wheeled into City Hall last Friday, all part of a $2.6 million renovation to the building's second floor. We buy good quality furniture, it's functional, it's not luxury furniture by any means. Nice looking chairs can be found at Staples for a couple hundred bucks, but the stuff City Hall is buying is from designer brand Herman Miller. The furniture bill alone for the second floor reno is nearly $317,000. And this is what keeps me up at night. Tens of thousands of homeowners unable to pay their property taxes. Those taxes are due in two weeks. We asked homeowners on their way to pay up what they think of City Hall's furniture choices. There's a lot better places to spend some money right now. I guess they have to sit a lot on their butts. Outrageous. I'm glad he's not taking care of my accounts. <laughs> because uh, otherwise I'd be broke and I'd be homeless. The city claims the reno will save money long term by consolidating the Human Resources Department onto one floor. The project was approved pre-pandemic, but the facility's GM says staff made a separate decision mid-pandemic to continue the work. The project goes through a real scrutiny, and in this case, the project was decided to proceed. So did the mayor know about this? We contacted his office, and the response we got reads in part, quote, Council only approves overall budgets. For more details on how work is executed, you can reach out to the city manager's office. On Tuesday, city manager Sadhu Johnson announced he's leaving his post at the beginning of next year. To see the city spend this kind of money, in the middle of a pandemic, when we're all freaking out, uh, is embarrassing and so inappropriate. A purchase made for ultimate comfort has become the latest uncomfortable issue for the city of Vancouver. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Well, the buzz from speculation of a snap election is getting louder by the day. It'll be a roll of the dice for Premier Horgan, who will ruffle more than just a few feathers if he does make that call. Richard Zussman has more on why one opposed political advisor is calling on the left-handed governor to take action. 
front page news in Victoria, a letter from Norman Spector to BC's Lieutenant Governor, and his advice for what Janet Austin should say if Premier John Horgan comes asking for an election. We had an extraordinary performance during the pandemic compared to most jurisdictions, and yet you want to go and ruin all that by having me call an election. Spector was one of the four people on the negotiating team for the BC Greens that ultimately led to the NDP taking power. His letter comes as speculation ramps up about a full election. Horgan will be required to ask Austin for an election. Advice Spector says the LG can't deny, but could say this. Ask yourself whether you will be able to look yourself in the mirror if you break your word, if you break the law, if you break the agreement. Constitutional experts agree. Austin can't reject his request, and asking for a pause would be a rare move. The LG could technically ask Corgan to reconsider or take some time to think about uh, his desire to dissolve the legislature. However, it would be a fairly bold action on her part to do so. Horgan is also grappling with whether he'll break a major promise, agreeing in his deal with the Greens that he would not call a snap election. I think it will be risky to call an election this fall for, for a couple of reasons. There's no apparent need for an election. At least I think that's what most people seem to think. Spector's letter also raising concerns about the inability to physically distance during a campaign. Plus, there are the increases in COVID-19 cases and a doubling of hospitalizations due to the virus in the last week. Health Minister Adrian Dix asked about all of this. With respect to decisions about elections, those aren't, those aren't mine to make. But I would say this, that there's going to be an election under COVID-19 and, uh, and it can be done safely. When during the pandemic is still up in the air. All of this setting up political drama BC is famous for. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. All right, let's bring in Keith Baldry for more. Now, for argument's sake, Keith, let's say there will be a provincial election. Mm -hmm. If that happens, when do you think it'll be? Uh, well, we're going to take a look at uh, the calendar, folks, of potential of when this election could occur. It has to occur on a Saturday because the rules have changed. So watch Saturdays. There's only limited windows here. The 24th of October, because it has to be a minimum 32-day campaign. What about the 31st? I don't think so. Let's cross that off because that's Halloween. Then you go into the next month. And again, limited Saturdays are available. In November, well, just one Saturday, I think, is November 7th. I don't think they can go past that, Sophie, because now we're into influenza season and the winter, so we're looking at October 24th or November 7th as the most likely dates for a fall election. Again, any later than November 7th seems to be colliding with influenza season and bad weather in B.C., and we traditionally don't have elections then. The 24th, I think, is the earliest uh, because the rules have changed since uh, the last election. The NDP brought in changes that require a Saturday election and a minimum 32- to 38-day campaign. I just don't think there's enough time to do an October 17th one, and again, not much time after November 7th. So the window's very small for John Horgan, and I have to tell you, the buzz around here, it's a green light, it's a go, unless something drastically different happens between now and the next few days. All right, mark it on your calendars, the 24th or the 7th. Thanks, Keith. <laughs> All right, speaking of changes brought on by the B.C. government, here's another one. They've taken a major step in trying to combat the overdose crisis. Dr. Bonnie Henry issued a public health order giving psychiatric and registered nurses the power to prescribe safer drugs for addicts, something only doctors and nurse practitioners have the authority to do right now. Grace Key has the details. The number of people dying from illicit drug use in the province was going down. Then, 
COVID arrived, making the street drug supply more toxic. 175 people died in July from illicit drug use, 177 in June, 174 in May. Now a new provincial health order allows registered nurses and registered psychiatric nurses to prescribe pharmaceutical alternatives to street drugs. In August, there was a 259% increase in dispensed hydromorphone for patients from a pharmacy compared to March. We felt that we needed to create even more opportunities, that this made sense for nurse practitioners and nurses to do it. Uh, Dr. Henry is doing this under uh, the auspices of an order that I provided. And I think it's absolutely the right decision. One drug policy expert says it's a positive move, but the real problem is prohibition. We need to challenge the process that is creating all of these problems. And the process is the prohibition of drugs. What we need is a public health approach, not a criminal justice approach to drugs in our society. Nurse practitioners at BC say they already provide the opportunity for low barrier access to healthcare services. This is a good solution all the way around. It's, uh, it's, it's building on capacity that's already within the system without having to uh, cost BC taxpayers a substantial amount of money. Details are still being discussed and new nursing standards will be introduced along with training and education. Registered nurses could start prescribing pharmaceutical alternatives by the end of October. Grace Key, Global News. Now BC's COVID emergency and let's get a look at the latest COVID-19 numbers for our province. We have 122 new cases bringing our total to 7,498. No new deaths so that number holds at 219. 60 people are in hospital, 23 of them in the ICU. That's up three. 5,646 people are considered recovered, leaving us with 1,614 active cases and 2,966 people in isolation. Fraser Health is launching a new one-stop shop for COVID-19 exposures in schools. A dedicated web page will be updated with what they tell us is timely information about cases in K-12 schools in the Fraser Health region. When an exposure letter is issued to a school, it will also be listed online under the respective school district. Health Minister Adrian Dix says the province will be rolling out a similar database for other health authorities very soon. It comes as four schools in Surrey and one in Delta have now confirmed cases of the virus less than a week into the new school year. TNT Supermarket has closed its Chinatown store for a deep cleaning after an employee there tested positive for COVID-19. The store says the employee last worked September 11th and no other workers in the Chinatown store have had any symptoms in the last 14 days. City of North Vancouver Council has voted to extend its popular patio program into the winter. The city led the way in allowing restaurants and bars to expand their spaces outdoors when they reopened from their COVID closures. With winter coming and the survival of many of those hospitality businesses still up in the air, those patios will be allowed to continue operating and be winterized with heaters, awnings and tents. Been a big hit so far, and so has Variety Week. We are halfway through it now, and your generosity has really been incredible. You have helped so many kids who are in need of life-altering equipment and services. Last night's story about Jenna needing a new power wheelchair inspired so much interest that a single donor came forward to help fund all of the wheelchairs on Variety's waitlist. An incredible example of the generosity in this province. But every little bit helps, so if you can... 
Add your name to the list of those donors scrolling along the bottom of your screen by calling 310-KIDS. And later on, we will find out how Variety has helped Greta as she recovers from cancer. So good to see Jenna. All right, a close call for a man who went for a propane fill. Something went terribly wrong and his camper van was destroyed. And if not for the quick thinking of an employee, it could have been a lot worse. That story in just over a minute. Hurricane Sally blows in as advertised, turning Gulf Coast communities upside down. That's coming up. And the pristine piece of BC wilderness just saved from development later on the news hour. Right now, though, a fire at a propane depot in Burnaby today that destroyed a camper van a young man had been using as a temporary home. And while the owner lost everything, he is very thankful for the actions, quick actions, of an employee that prevented what could have been a deadly catastrophe. John Waugh reports. A camper van fully engulfed in flames in the middle of a propane filling station. These two things, just in the same sentence, are a reasonable cause for panic. The man who was filling ran in, said it was on fire, and we all evacuated really quickly. Anthony Berglund fled with others to safety, only to watch his home on four wheels and all of his belongings ignite like the fuse of a bomb just waiting to go off. Probably a couple thousand dollars worth of climbing gear, my guitar, clothing, a lot of possessions. I was living out of it. There was a bit of a flashover. The flashover is what caught the van and uh, the, it spread into inside the van. But it was the quick thinking of another propane depot employee that literally stomped out the potential for a complete disaster. Kicked out the glass so I could hit the shut-off valve. The depot's owner said he saw the entire dramatic scene unfold over a security camera feed. Once yeah. I knew it was off, I was like, all right, that's on fire, but everything else is going to be okay because the fire's going to stop. Once the Burnaby Fire Department arrived, the focus was keeping the fire away from the added fuel inside these much larger supply tanks. With all those tanks, there's possibility of explosions. and uh, With that much fuel, it, uh, it was a, a big risk. In the end, while the damage was isolated to the propane filling terminals, Berglund's camper van is a complete write-off. It could have gone worse. I'm happy nobody got hurt. It could have gone a lot worse. Yeah. It wasn't thanks to the quick actions of the Burnaby Fire Department and one humble employee. I'm no hero. John Hua, Global News. A shocking and scary discovery in Vancouver. A loaded semi-automatic assault rifle was found in an alley not far from Strathcona Park. Vancouver police say a construction worker discovered the gun last Thursday in an oversized tent bag near Prior Street and Heatley Avenue. Police say they're examining the firearm for fingerprints. They're also searching through security camera footage of the area. Up ahead, a tractor convoy to protest new development. We don't like this project. Why opponents are pulling together to preserve what they know as the, Na the Napa Valley of the North. And why now is the time for a province-wide study of youth mental health. Two lanes north and one lane south over at the Lions Gate Bridge. No delays out of downtown Vancouver or through Stanley Park Causeway. Traffic is lined up just a bit southbound on the Cloverleaf. Sussex Insurance has auto plan offices inside Walmarts and the Real Canadian Superstores throughout BC. For hours and locations, visit sussexinsurance.com. Open every day. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center.
This portion of the program is brought to you in part by Buy Low Foods. Well, it is the diagnosis no child or parent ever wants to hear. But the sad reality is that each year in B.C. there are 130 children diagnosed with cancer. And when these kids have fought the battle of their lives and are on the road to recovery, Variety is there to help. If Greta wasn't to make it through this, I was going to have to find a way to be happy for the life that she had lived up to that point, which is only five years. And that was like a very sharp pill to swallow. Was first getting cancer, I like had a little bit of trouble walking and stuff. Greta has gone through an experience no child should have to endure. The cancerous tumor that attacked her young body, plus the subsequent surgeries and radiation treatments, ravaged her back, damaging the bones and muscles around her spine. So gradually um, her back has uh, become more curved and it was getting more painful. The physiotherapy is helping, but she needed a brace. The brace helps me keep my back straight and it helps me so when I take it off, my back doesn't hurt anymore. And I can do stuff like going on trampoline for a little while or run or swim. Variety has provided Greta's family with the funding for the back brace as well as physiotherapy. The back brace alone costs $3,500 and needs to be replaced regularly as Greta grows. And as Greta continues to grow, the crucial physiotherapy and back brace have actually helped her regain her strength and stabilize her spine. One, shoulders down, two. Getting the grant from Variety that gave, gave us the brace right away and the physio right away was just really amazing. It was really reassuring to know that she could get the brace quickly and at least her you know, back wasn't worsening as we waited for surgery. Greta needs spinal fusion surgery. Rods will be inserted from the top of her spine all the way to the bottom. And once those rods are in place, her spine will no longer grow. But Variety has given Greta and her family hope. Hope that this life-altering surgery can be delayed. We're very thankful for the donors to Variety who helped Greta get her brace and help her do physio every week because that donation is helping her uh, just be a kid a little bit longer. She can delay her surgery a little bit, gives her time to grow. And time to grow is what every child needs. Well, you can do your part and help a child get the physiotherapy or special equipment that they need. Just call 310KIDS right now or go online to variety.bc.ca. Help a kid get their best chance to recover from cancer. Well, the pandemic has undoubtedly taken a toll on the mental health of BC's youth. Uh, but what is the extent of the impact and how concerned should parents be? Nadia Stewart has more on a new study set to assess just that. Is it mostly social? Is it mostly psychiatric? Is it uh, functional? Dr. Quinn Doan is looking for answers, hoping to learn more about how the pandemic has affected youth mental health. The question is, uh, how does it affect our kids' mental health? Is it more or is it different? And to be able to get to the root of it and help them sort this out, we need to know exactly what the problem is. As kids return to school, researchers want to examine how best they can be supported. Kids ages 6 to 17 can take part in the study. Younger kids with the help of their parents, older kids by way of an app. 
getting a feel for what's going on out there, what are people needing, is helpful to um, make sure that what we put out there is useful. For both children and parents, this has been a trying experience to navigate on just about every level. I'm teaching parents to be very patient. Psychologist Dr. Jyoti Samra says as much as they can, parents should validate their children's feelings, acknowledging this is something entirely new for them too. Open a bi-directional dialogue. Uh, make sure that you're doing your best to understand what the impacts are for them um, and, and how it's, it's uh, impacting them personally. A link is up on the BC Children's Hospital Research Institute's website for parents and kids interested in taking part in the study. Nadia Strickland News. Still to come, catastrophic damage in Gulf states. It just doesn't seem real. I can't believe this is happening. Coastal communities that took a real beating coming up. And what BC's AIDS research pioneer says about being immortalized on a Canadian stamp. Traffic is steady in both directions over here at the Batello Bridge, but do keep in mind the closure in New West under the bridge deck on Front Street. That's between Begbie and Columbia. Just take Royal Avenue or Columbia Street as alternate routes. From help on the road to protecting your home and car, BCAA's local experts are here for your insurance needs. Visit BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Check out this drone video that captured some dramatic images in Gulf Shores, Alabama, where Hurricane Sally has caused major damage. A 10-story condo tower ripped open, power outages and significant flooding through the rest of the city. That slow-moving storm made landfall early this morning. The damage from torrential rain and gale force winds of almost 170 kilometers an hour, catastrophic. After slowly creeping along the Gulf Coast for days, Hurricane Sally barreling onto land just before 5 a.m. My neighbor's pool is under the bayou right now. Unleashing 100-mile-an-hour winds, ripping down trees and traffic lights, blowing out walls, leaving homes and businesses destroyed. It just doesn't seem real. I can't believe this is happening. Residents across the panhandle now dealing with catastrophic flooding. It threw me completely. I was not expecting this at all. Wesley Nielsen, who lives on a boat, quickly left when conditions deteriorated. I never fooled with Mother Nature, and I did not expect that to tangle with her today. But when she was getting the better of me, I gave it to her. She won, I left. Coastal neighborhoods pummeled by rain. Some getting more than 30 inches by mid-morning. A section of Pensacola's three-mile bridge, now missing. Ferocious conditions prompting rescues almost immediately. No one took it as seriously, including me, as we should have. The system originally tracking to New Orleans, then Biloxi, then Mobile. This forecast for the storm, you know, it was not very good. Let's just call it what it was. Today, residents and business owners surveying what Sally left behind. Pamela Hamiak owns a hotel, which was just getting ready to reopen its ballroom after shutting down because of COVID. I went to bed thinking it was barely a hurricane, and then 
wake up to this, it just, it just seems like it's a nightmare. Community still reeling, dealt yet another blow in an already difficult year. Sam Brock, NBC News, Pensacola. Another piece of pristine B.C. wilderness, this one right on Metro Vancouver's doorstep, has been preserved forever. A large piece of property along the Ryan River just north of Pemberton has been purchased by the Nature Conservancy of Canada. The Conservancy says the Pemberton Meadows property is home to countless species, including grizzly and black bears, cougar, deer, beavers, and migratory birds. The grizzlies are considered to be at risk because of their dwindling numbers in the region. The property is also a popular recreation area for Metro Vancouver residents and people in the surrounding communities. If you'd like to see the full Nature Conservancy of Canada video, uh, video of the project, we've posted it on our website, globalnews.ca slash bc. A procession of farmers on tractors made their way down Main Street to Penticton City Hall, drawing attention to concerns about a proposed residential development on the Naramata bench. Global's Shelby Tom explains why opponents are so upset and what the developer behind the plan has to say. We just wanted to send a clear message to everybody here at City Hall that we don't like this project. Do you think you got that message? Concerned farmers on a convoy of tractors descend on Penticton City Hall in protest of a proposed mega subdivision on the south end of the Naramata Bench within city limits. The Naramata Bench is often called Napa of the North. Well, with a subdivision, that spoils that whole concept. Vancouver-based real estate developer Canadian Horizons is pitching a 328-home subdivision with a modern farmhouse design at 1050 Spiller Road, a mix of single-family lots ranging from 6,000 to 15,000 square feet. But opponents say it's an inappropriate location, given the bench is a world-renowned agritourism region. Naramata Bench is a jewel, and um, if we let... Uh, Canadian Horizons develop it the way that they want to, it will be gone forever. Mayor and council emerged as dozens of people rallied outside City Hall, waving placards and voicing their opposition on a loudspeaker. We're just here to let you know that we are listening. Others sounded the alarm over environmental impacts on wildlife, traffic congestion and fire risk. The site is earmarked for growth in two city plans, but the land is zoned for country residential, far from the density proposed, so council must approve a rezoning application. The city says an open house and public hearing will be held after the application is introduced to council. Agriculturalists already sowing the seeds of discontent. Hopeful the plan won't see the light of day. Shelby Tom, Global News. In health matters tonight, as we head into flu season, we're being told that, like everything else, the COVID-19 pandemic will change the way many of us get our flu shots. The BC Pharmacy Association says anyone planning to get their shot from a pharmacy will probably have to make an appointment rather than just walk in. They're also expecting an increase in demand this year. For the first time, children from 2 to 17 years old will be able to get their vaccine from a nasal spray and a high-dose vaccine vaccine will once again be available to people 65 and over. As for when flu shots will be available, at this point there's no specific date from the provincial government, but the province has purchased nearly 2 million doses. That's almost a half million more than had been planned. A COVID-19 outbreak has been declared at Delta Hospital. Two patients have tested positive. 
The outbreak is limited to one unit, which is temporarily closed to admissions. Fraser Health has implemented precautions, including enhanced cleaning and contact tracing there. The emergency department remains open. There's no impact to any other areas of the hospital. All patients on the affected unit have been notified of the outbreak. And BC Hydro confirms another COVID-19 case at its Site C project in northeastern BC. The employee was on site during the week of September 7th and stayed in the workers' lodge. Hydro says the employee followed health protocols such as wearing a mask and physical distancing while there. A small number of people have been asked to self-monitor. The person is currently recovering at home on the Lower Mainland. This is the second confirmed COVID case on the Site C project to date. Well, we'll take a quick break and later saving a Canadian retail institution. I think a lot of us were very shocked, really upset. Thousands sign a petition hoping they can stop the sale of Mountain Equipment Co-op. And coming up in sports, what poor behavior from Whitecap star Lucas Cavallini is going to cost him. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Oh, beautiful. Walk on up to your front wow. door. Thank yeah, you. please. Thank you. The 2020 PE Prize Home winners take a tour of their new home. They're from Pemberton, and that's where the house is going. So, will they keep it? Find out right after Christie's forecast. And why didn't they answer their phone on Monday? <laughs> anyway, I don't know if that question gets answered or not. In any event, another big honor. Let's get to that for BC's pioneering HIV AIDS researcher. Dr. Julio Montaner, head of BC Centre for Excellence in HIV AIDS, is one of six groundbreaking Canadian physicians featured in a new issue from Canada Post. Linda Ellsworth reports. How many people can say they're on a stamp? Dr. Julio Montaner can. When I first got the call from Canada Post, it was like, uh, whoa, what's going on here? What's going on is that Montaner, one of the world's leading HIV AIDS researchers, is being honoured for a career that began in Vancouver in 1981 after he left his home in Argentina for a research fellowship at UBC. With the expectation that I was going to go home and work with my dad in pulmonary medicine. But he didn't go home. Lo and behold, I met my wife, Dorothy. She was an x-ray technician at St. Paul's Hospital, where I still work. And the rest is history. At the time, HIV had just started to rear its ugly head, so Montana hadn't given it much thought. But very quickly, uh, HIV became a concern at St. Paul's Hospital. As you know, St. Paul's became the epicenter uh, for HIV-AIDS in British Columbia. Soon, Montaner found himself heading up a very modest AIDS research program. It was myself, and as I often say, half a secretary. I used to share a secretary, and I had no budget. But by the following decade, the treatment had grown, as had treatment options. The biggest breakthrough that uh, we had come up uh, with in the last uh, 6 to 12 months relates to our ability to suppress the, the viral replication. The three-drug cocktail, triple therapy, was the highlight of the 1996 International AIDS Conference held in Vancouver. Triple therapy turned what it was a, an imminent uh, death sentence into a chronic manageable disease. Montana continues to make new discoveries. As for the stamp, the search for his childhood collection has begun. 
I'm looking forward to resuscitate it and just to include my own stamp uh, to the collection. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Well, good excuse to go mail some letters. It sure is. <laughs> All right, let's check in now with uh, Christy, who's out there somewhere in the haze uh, with a look at our <laughs> forecast. Christy. Yeah, so certainly you can see the widespread smoke still behind me here. Uh, we didn't see the clearing like we did yesterday with a, a visibility of about 10 kilometers yesterday. Today we range between about 4 and 5, but the sun tried to make its way through. Uh, one thing that did change today was the air quality, though. I don't know if you've noticed it with the uh, smell in the air, but overall we've slowly improved in terms of that air quality health index. We were at a high to very high level all across Metro Vancouver early today, even parts of Vancouver Island, but you'll know it a few areas making its way into the moderate level. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to stay that way. We still have more smoke pushing our way, but certainly that has been some improvement today, a slow improvement, but some. One area, though, still at a very high level, and that's Castlegar, but you'll note a few of the other regions have improved as well, uh, certainly into the Kamloops and North Okanagan region. So this is the flow that we're still looking at, still smoke pushing into our region. We're expecting this for the next 24 hours. You see that low though off in the distance? That low has been situated there for a number of days and that's why it's bringing in that southerly flow but it's finally going to shift tomorrow. Tomorrow won't be um, oh sorry, sorry not tomorrow, Friday. Tomorrow we're still expecting widespread smoke. Friday is when it's going to finally shift. It's not going to be a massive shift into Friday. Friday we'll see some cloud cover, a few showers pushing in but Friday into Saturday that's when we'll finally see things start to shift a little bit, bringing in that rain, bringing in more wind to help scour out a lot of that smoke. So we really do hope for a big improvement as we head into the weekend. But Friday's the start of it, certainly. In the meantime, there's your Thursday sunshine and just local smoke across the north. It's southern regions from basically Williams Lake South. Widespread smoke expected in these regions with the visibility coming and going throughout the day. But overall, widespread smoke expected. So one more day of this before we start, start to see an improvement on Friday and into the weekend as well. And your central windows weather window, I have to say we had a lot of photos of the smoke, but I had to move on from the smoke. I'm done with it. Instead, I wanted to show you Asha's mom grew this tomato, giant tomato in Richmond. Way to go, Asha's mom. That's a beauty. All right, guys, <laughs> maybe we can make some tomato sauce. I think we're all done with the smoke. Thanks, Christy. For sure. Well, the PE Prize Home winners are taking their first peek around their grand prize. Oh. <laughs> Great reaction. Fritz and Heidi Kim from Pemberton were announced as the lucky winners on Monday. Huge supporters of the PE. The retired couple have attended the fair almost every summer for 45 years. Today, they took a tour around the $2 million home, which coincidentally will be located in the couple's hometown of Pemberton. The property has three bedrooms, a luxurious kitchen, and two and a half bathrooms. The couple understandably found it hard to pick a highlight. It's hard to say, just pick one room. Every room is really tastefully oh, up, yeah. but the bedroom, just the master not. bedroom is fantastic. And I know Fritz likes the, the game room there. <laughs> I like in the winter a warm massage or a, even a sauna right now. I never. Congratulations. The couple have decided to keep the property. They say they can't wait to move in and spend their retirement enjoying the life of luxury. Congratulations, Fritz and Heidi.
And since they have three bedrooms, they have guest bedrooms. Yes, they do. Plenty of room <laughs> to invite people over. Socially distanced, of course. Of course. All right, time to check in with Squat. I'm just inviting. Are you hinting over. that they should invite us over? I mean, it looks so. I mean, we dangerous. would be lovely house guests. We'd clean up after ourselves. We'd probably tell very interesting stories. We're delightful. And wear a mask. And wear masks. Fine. We'd have that too. Yeah. Uh, Cam Newton is a quarterback the Seahawks have faced before, but never as a New England Patriot. You know, they, there's a, a wide variety of things that, that he does and can do. It's not just stop Newton this Sunday, but a Cam Newton with Bill Belichick coaching him. Also, hell hath no fury like a group of jilted co-op members. Their effort to scuttle the sale of Mac. in trouble. <laughs> it's not me. No. But Lucas Cavallini got into a bit of trouble. Uh, good thing he's the highest paid white cap because he was handed two fines by the MLS head office over uh, pushing one of the Montreal Impact players and then not leaving right away after being given a red card. Now we don't know what the fines are. Apparently that's classified. But he is lucky he didn't get a suspension as well. He already has a one-game suspension for getting the red card, which means he's not going to play tonight's game against Montreal, which has just started. Cavallini, though, did put out an apology to his teammates and fans for getting out of control before getting kicked out. Well, the Seahawks' first home game, which will be Sunday night, will be rather quiet. The 12th man and 12th woman will have to stay at home. No fans in the building, which... It's too bad because New England is in town. And this isn't the Tom Brady Patriots anymore, as we all know. It's now quarterbacked by Cam Newton, whose previous dealings with the Seahawks, and he's had a few, were always entertaining. Cam Newton is a player that Pete Carroll has had the plan against a lot over the years, but never as a New England Patriot underneath Bill Belichick. Yeah, we do have a real good background with Cam, but we don't know what they're going to do with him. You know, it's only one game, you know, so we, we don't even have the benefit of the preseason games to kind of try to figure it out. So, and, and uh, they have been, you know, notorious for changing from one week to the next and how they approach their opponents. What they did do in week one was let Cam run a completely different offensive philosophy from when Tom Brady was the Patriots quarterback. The Patriot team ran the ball 42 times and threw it 19 times. There's a difference in that commitment right there. And they've got a quarterback that's got extraordinary talents and they're, you know, they utilized him and they've got, got themselves really a very, very commanding win. Seahawks tight end Greg Olson also knows Cam Newton well, very well, having played with him for nine years in Carolina. He's going to compete hard. He's going to do everything he can in his power to, to give his team a chance to, to be successful, whether that's throwing it, running it, scrambles, design runs, short yardage, goal line, um, you know, whatever the situation presents. For the Seahawks, all those games against Cam Newton when he was a Carolina Panther certainly schooled their coaching staff. Whenever you play running quarterback, it calls for discipline. It's not just the hard, hard physical side of it. It's really the attention to the details, and particularly an option, a guy who has the capability of running the option. You have to be really strict. And so, but I do like that we have seen Cam over the years in really big games and, and, and playoffs and all of that. And we've seen him really, you know, in, in the most challenging settings. So we do have a familiarity in that regard. 
Last night, the Blue Jays got bombed in the Bronx 20-6. to Tonight, kind of the same thing. It's like batting practice for the Yankees. DJ LeMahieu in the first inning, gone. Solo shot. DJ LeMahieu, same guy, same result. Another home run, although this is actually a two-run homer. 6-0. Yeah, the Yankees are just... Lighting the Jays up again. 13-1 in the eighth. That's uh, Luke Voigt with a three-run homer. So that's, what, 33 runs in two nights, and the game's not even over yet. Uh, It doesn't matter how great a player you are, even if you are Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. When you wear an L.A. Clippers uniform, sooner or later, you will turn into an L.A. Clipper. And that means never winning in the clutch. The Clippers blew a 3-1 series lead to Denver. They were knocked out of the playoffs in Game 7 last night. So no L.A. against L.A. Western Conference Final. The uniform that the Clippers wear is like kryptonite in their entire history. They've never made the Final Four in the playoffs. Here's some examples. Yeah, that's Clipper basketball all the way. Clear dunk, you hit the backboard, and it goes all the way to center court. Paul George. What? And Kawhi Leonard. If this Kawhi Leonard played for the Raptors last year, the one that we saw in the fourth quarter last night, they wouldn't have won the championship. But Jamal Murray of Canada, 40 points. He gets to go to the Western Conference Final against the L.A. Lakers. There you go. All right. Thanks, Squire. All right, here's Jay Durant now with a preview of Global News at 11. Jay? Thanks very much, Chris. A town hall meeting has been held in Squamish today to discuss how the community plans to deal with the homeless, some of whom have been living in the uh, municipal campground. Also tonight, the iconic giant W has been removed from the New Westminster waterfront. The art installation was damaged in Sunday's massive pure fire. There were hopes it could have been saved, but sadly, that is not the case. Well, those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11. All right, thanks very much, Jay. 59,111 signatures and counting on a petition, the growing movement to stop the sale of MEC. Two days after the surprising announcement that Canadian outdoor retailer Mountain Equipment Co-op is being acquired by a U.S. investment firm, there's a growing petition calling for that deal to be scrapped. But as Brad McLeod shows us, documents released as part of the deal show just how dire the co-op's finances had become. I definitely think they should have sent an email out and let people know that they were struggling so badly that they were considering selling. I'm surprised that the members were not notified. But barring any regulatory obstacles, MEC, as we know it, is about to change. Going from a co-op where a $5 membership earns you the right to shop and vote for a board of directors, to potentially becoming a privately owned business acquired by the LA-based investment firm Kingswood Capital Management. A lot of us were really upset uh, and looking for basically an avenue to contest this. Paul Finch started a petition to save MEC, asking for the deal to be stopped. So far, more than 50,000 people feel the same. Even the Premier weighing in. It's sad to see Canada's largest co-op being sold off to a U.S. firm without consulting the millions of members. But MEC's books were pretty bad. Since 2015, it's lost $80 million. And from March till September, sales are down $90 million over last year. By the end of the month, MEC will be unable to repay their $74 million debt. 
So Mech's board of directors agreed to sell under the company's Creditors Arrangement Act. Before MEC was established. Jane, a member for nearly 50 years, wonders what Mech will be after a sale. Probably is a wait and see, but I don't know that we have any say at this point. Some vague reassurance from the purchasers. Upon completion of this transaction, we together can inspire and equip Canadians in leading an active outdoor lifestyle for years to come. The petitioners are exploring their legal options to stop the sale, which is still subject to regulatory approvals. But the prospective owners say it should be bought by the end of this year. Brad McLeod, Global News, Victoria. And the petition's now at 59,498. It will probably hit 60,000 by the end of the show. Pretty, pretty easily. Maybe by the end mm -hmm. of the sentence. Mm -hmm. Well, Variety and all of us here at Global are overwhelmed by the incredible support you, our viewers, have shown to kids with special needs. It really is amazing. Already you've eliminated Variety's wait list and opened up a lot of opportunities for other children and families to receive life-changing equipment and services. And thanks to Buy Low Foods for a generous donation during tonight's news hour, we can proudly say that BC is helping 549 kids across the province now with over $1.3 million in donations. And you can still help. We've got a couple of days to go here. Mm -hmm. Just call 310 Kids right now. Thank you so much, BC. All right, Christy Gordon gets the last word on weather. Christy? Thanks, Sophia. So still widespread smoke expected again tomorrow, despite the fact we should see sunny skies. It's Friday that the rain starts to push in. We'll start to see some improvement by the rain. I'm talking about just a few showers Friday. It starts to ramp up later Friday, though, the rain. All right. Thanks, Christy. And thank you all for watching and for giving. We really appreciate it. And we'll see you back here tomorrow. Have a good night, all.